Well, how did everybody's uh, course go the class time before this? Did you have a good time? Everything cool? Learn a lot of stuff? Everybody getting to talk? Talk amongst yourselves. It's good stuff? All right. Well, ours went great. We're back there in the uh, prayer circle rhombus, and we're working on uh, Advent stagecraft, and uh, we are definitely doing some artsy craftsy work back there trying to figure things out. It's going to be super spectacular just as soon as we put in about two months worth of work. So it's going to be great. So, Hey, um, we are working through some of the short letters of Paul in the New Testament. And last week we did Galatians. And uh, this week we do Ephesians. Last week on Galatians, Paul was uh, going after uh, what's called in Scripture the Judaizers, those who were saying to these new Christians they need to... uh, to follow Jewish law, the law of Moses and prophets. And he says, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're free from that. And so he went through that. And then this week on Ephesians, what a different tone the, the letter Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Um, he doesn't have anyone to attack. He is fired up in his letter to the church to Ephesus. It's, so you should bring this up on your phone. Bring up the Bible on your phone. Uh, whatever you have there, or if you have a hard copy like I have in my hand here, that's cool. Go to Ephesus, the Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, and you'll want to kind of be looking through there. So, um, but uh, yeah, not like Galatians, there's no problem that he's trying to correct in a strain flock or fix things in the church in Galatia, uh, I mean in Ephesus, and in, in Galatians, um, Paul's really working, but here in Ephesians, it's all good, it's all super good. And so it's a totally different tone in his fired upness. It's fired up about them all being one. In essence, if you walk away from nothing out of the letter to the church in Ephesus, you walk away saying Ephesians is all about unity. All about unity. Let us be one. And he spends six chapters cycling and looping through Uh, argument and thought after thought, really going deep into why are we one? How does it work? All right? So we're going to touch on that here in just a short amount of time we have here on a Sunday morning. But you'll do well to read it. Um, It may come across as complicated, but really his writing is really quite straight ahead and simple. All right? So I'll tell you this. Over the years, you know... um, all these decades of being a Christian and reading the Bible forever and ever and ever, even as a small kid. I, I've come to see Ephesians really quite differently. Matter of fact, I kind of see all of Scripture quite differently. Um, I used to read Ephesians, so I'm reformed in my theology, you know, and if you don't, that's super code words. Reformed means like, well, sure, we're all reformed about something. Like, Okay, let me just cut to the quick. It means I, I'm Calvinist. But I'm about three and a half point Calvinist, so you know, let's go there. So, but so when I was younger, I would read Ephesians and saying like, "Oh man, he's saying for whom he's called, he's also foreordained," you know, and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, "This is, this is like math right here, man. This is theological math work. This is arithmetic. He's working out how a person is saved, and it's you know they're ordained and they're predestined and called and blah 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 blah." Now, not that I deny any of that. Now. I just see it for its beauty. Paul's mastery of all the letters in the New Testament. This one 
has got to be the most beautiful and intense, the most um, otherworldly in a way. It's, it's a masterpiece. If there is anything that says it's scripture, it's this letter. And uh, I'm not sure we'll be able to get that conveyed to you this morning. But it's not like Romans or Corinthians where he's laying things out. And it's certainly not like Galatians. It's, and it may be more like the next two letters that we're going to cover, which is Philippians and Colossians. But, uh, but we're going to get to that in a few Sundays. I like Ephesians because it fits my life situation. Um, I need some gray these days. I, I need some gray. Black and white's not cutting it for me. Um, what do you have to say in the face of cancer and COVID and things working out and things not working out? So many of my friends, their, their parents are passing away. That's gray, man. It's all super gray these days. And Ephesians kind of helps me go there. Scripture kind of helps me go there. It fits my life situation. And it's mystical and it's deep. And by deep, I don't mean Ephesians is hard to understand. I mean, it's just written clear enough. But, well, here, let's just get to it. Opening thoughts. Ephesians, if you got it there in front of you, Ephesians. I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. He starts off. This is his greeting. You always got to read the greeting stuff. I know I like to blow past them, but he's really setting up what's going on here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, which I'm going to show you a map here in just a few minutes, uh, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, see, just stop for a second. If I was back in my good old hardcore Calvinist days, I'd be sitting there and breaking this down into a math equa equation. We're adopted, we've been foreordained, and therefore we're predestined, and I'm working all this stuff out, like who's in and who's out, you know, very black and white type stuff. But I don't read it that way anymore. I feel like I just read it for what it says, which is that you're children of God. That's enough for me these days. Where was I? In verse 7, forgive me if I repeat or skip. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. By the way, all things, if you break it down, could be read as summing up things. So read it with sort of a sum, summation, okay, summing up. <laughs> Gathering up all things, summing up all things in heaven and on earth. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance and have been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplished all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope in Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. 
So just start bullet listing through what's he punching home here. And you're going to get stuff there if you begin to kind of use your eyes and roam over it there on your page, on your phone or whatever. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have been chosen before the foundation of the world. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, all because of God's grace. For the fullness of time, Christ has and Christ will gather up all things, sum up all things in heaven and on earth. Inheritance, destiny, purpose, all in the hope of Christ. You are marked with the seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit. This pledge is God's people. You begin to see what he's pounding away here. He's saying, like he's laying the foundation, saying, you belong to God. You are children of God. This has been in God's plan all along. You belong. You're here. It's a mystery. It's unfathomable. But you have been adopted. Yea, you are even a child of God. You're in the family. And you begin to get the, the sensation he's going to be talking further on about unity, that you are one. Okay? That's what he wants to get home. So soak it all up there, even in that first few verses. All of Paul's opening words are about our identity in Jesus. Who are you in Jesus Christ? And it's pretty cool. Our identity is a gift of grace. You didn't earn it. You guys, if you think you earn your way to heaven, you might want to get over it. There is nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven. It is a gift of grace. And what you need to hear out of that is that you are that important. Okay? The church is the body of Jesus. All of this sort of thing is important, all right? Now, earthly empires and governments, like the Roman Empire of Paul's time or the British Empire of the last 150 years ago, you know, the queen just died and makes us think about the British Empire, or America as an empire, okay? Earthly empires and governments hold no sway over Jesus or those who are with him. Just like the very first worship song, I always love it when we do that song, it says, these laws of this land... They're, they're not our God. We belong to another realm. We belong to the church, the body of Christ. So in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 1, he says this. I didn't, I'm not going to put it on the screen. You'll have to look at your thing. Uh, Ephesians 1, 22. And he has put all things under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. You hear it? It's in there. The fullness of everything is in the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. It's all being gathered in, unified. If Paul's fired up, he is fired up about Jesus Christ and what it means not only for the believers, but for all of time and creation. This is not just one-off thing. This is everything coming together. Now, for the Jews in the Old Testament, when they heard the word gospel, they didn't think about getting your sins taken care of. They thought of gospel the way we would think of the words good news or good tidings, meaning it is good for everyone, that everyone will sit under their own vine, that everyone shall have shalom, okay? Which is far different than the Roman idea that everybody just do what we say and it'll all be peaceful or we'll kill you. 
Like, that's not peace. That's not shalom. But Paul's bringing it all together saying, if you want that, it's not dependent upon governments or anything like that. It is dependent upon us being one in Christ, and it is a gift, okay? The fullness of him who fills all in all. That's what he's fired up. We are built together as a spiritual dwelling place, a house, the house of God, the place for God, for his glory. Now, notice, Paul does not say you, the individual, because the whole time we read scripture, guys, being moderns, you know, or even postmoderns, the entire time we hear you, we always think not y'all, like we say down in Waco, Texas, but instead we think me as an individual. Hardly is that ever in scripture. It's not in their worldview. They think of the clan, the group, the people, okay? I mean, they talk about individuals, of course, but, you know, nonetheless, think in terms of us, of y'all, you know? So notice, he's not talking about the individual. It, it is the everything. You personally are the sum of everything, included in everything. Jesus is, is in each of us, but it is the collective of all of us that creates the body of Christ, the holy temple. You can see he's trying to unpack what does it mean to be the church. It's not just a place we show up and we sing some songs and do communion and some stuff like that and have a small group and do some ministry. It's nothing like that. It's beyond that. If, for lack of a better term, it's mystical. It's cosmic, you know. It's otherworldly. It's transcendent. That's entirely missing in our culture. We are beautiful, mystical, purposeful, and forever as one people, one church, one body of Christ. That's why there can be no divisions, no race, no opinions. It is one. So imagine this. Imagine you lived 2,000 years ago, right? And you're living under the oppressive, crushing Roman Empire. Okay? So, you know, Ephesus, uh, can I get the map graphic up? Please, the map. There it is. I have the laser pointer. So, last week we talked about Galatians, which is a region up here. It's not a city. But now we're over here in... Um, Ephesus. So Ephesus, it's a port city. Over there's Greece, that way over there. Holy Land's down over here. There's Antioch. And if you could sneak on down there, you know, you'd have Jerusalem and all that. But we're just talking about this Ephesus right here. You have Smyrna right here. It's another port city. And you can see there's going to be a lot of commerce going all the way around the Mediterranean Sea down here. Okay. So that's where we're talking on location. This becomes important, okay? It becomes important. So you're living 2,000 years ago. You're under the Roman Empire. There's this Ephesus. This is this port city on the Aegean Sea. And Ephesus is strategically important to Caesar and the empire. Every day, massive armies are coming in by ship and traveling through there. Rome's presence is all around you, okay? Now, Ephesus is also home to the super important goddess Artemis, okay? That is, a, so I think I have another graphic of the Artemis' temple. I think there's a photo on that. Can I have the photo of that? 
Yeah, there is. So don't be deceived. The, all that's left is like a pillar standing. This is actually a little scale model. You can kind of tell by the size of the shrubs there. You're like, wait a second. Was this like for like hobbits or something? Like, no, it's just a model so you could see what it was like. All right. Super cool. As huge as a football field. All right. It had been destroyed three times. And by Paul's time, it was standing and it was considered one of the ancient seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. Very, very cool place. Okay. But you have to understand then that the Ephesians were really, really proud of this temple. It also made a whole lot of money because it was central to everything. Artemis, by the way, is Athena's. Uh, let's see, Athena's, you guys, you're all into the uh, Rick Riordan books or whatever they were. Um, I lost my place. Athena's sister and twin of Apollo. Like, I knew that. Um, and here you are, you're this lowly subject in a big, big, big empire, right? And you're, maybe you're a citizen of Rome and you have some legal rights to the courts and so forth. You're a real citizen. Or maybe you're not and you're just a nobody. Maybe you're just a good old Ephesian person. You're from Ephesus, you know? You don't really care about any of that stuff. And you become a Christian and you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, in Jesus, you're part of something that's beyond soldiers and Rome and empires and gods and goddesses and temples like the Artemis and, you know, and all of that. You're beyond that. And you can hear Paul then in Ephesus saying like, look, I know what's surrounding you. The Roman Empire, Artemis, the temple is here, and all of the Greek, we call it mythology, of course, these days. All the Greek mythology of the Greco-Roman world is there. But I'm telling you, there's something larger than all that. There's something cooler than all that. That sums up everything and everything. And it's Jesus Christ and God. And you can't say that big enough. So, you know, the people of Ephesus, they're pretty darn proud of that Artemis temple, right? And if you read uh, in the book of Acts, right after the Gospels there... In Acts chapter 20, you find Paul saying that the goddess Artemis is just a statue and not really a god. Because, you know, Paul's a monotheistic Jew. He believes in one god, and he shows up over in Greek and Rome and all that. And he's like, you guys and your silly, you know, pantheon of gods. You know, we Jews figured this out a long time ago. There's just one god. And he says, Artemis is not real. Okay? Well, guess what happens, right, if you read Acts chapter 20? The merchants freak out because they're selling the souvenir stuff. Little statues of Artemis that you can put in your house and worship and light candles and incense around. And suddenly, Paul's kind of coming against the industry, you know what I'm saying? And they take him to court. Fortunate for Paul, nothing comes of it. He doesn't get arrested or anything like that. But, you know, he moves on to Macedonia after that because things were starting to kind of heat up for him. All right? So, good thing for Paul. Paul is fighting this Greco-Roman god and goddess worship, and if that isn't enough, Paul is fighting, about, fighting against the, the Roman Empire in general. By the way, as an aside, this is all legend and it's not in Scripture, but Paul's entire journey on trial, which is in Scripture, is in the book of Acts, really starting around chapter 19. He begins to make his journey towards Rome, and he's going to stand before Caesar, and he's going to say, you are not Caesar Jesus is Caesar. That was his destiny. He's going to stand before the greatest person in the known world and say, you 
are not the son of God, which is what it says, by the way, on every Roman coin, son of God on the back, Caesar Tiberius right on down the line. It says son of God on it. Paul's like, I'm going to show you the real son of God. Pretty powerful stuff. Paul, man, you think he's not fired up? Man is fired up. He's going to go to Rome and stand before Caesar and say, no, you're not. (laughs) Okay. So we don't know what really happened to him. But I think he actually got there. But Paul has this uphill battle on his hands. He has this unshakable confidence in Jesus because he saw him risen from the dead. If you saw someone risen from the dead, would you be thinking like, I don't think death wins. I think Jesus wins. He's seen the risen Jesus, and nothing can stop him now here on earth. He's not afraid of anything. Nothing. He is fired up against idols and empires. So what's Paul say to the Ephesian church, the Ephesian Christians? You are all one in Christ. You are beyond empires and armies and little statues of Artemis. You are members of the body of Christ, children of God, residents of heaven. And he spends the entire letter describing this in great, wonderful detail. When we read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, about halfway, you begin to get the big picture. Paul wants the Ephesians to be sold out, fired up for each other in Jesus Christ. Chapter 4. Go to chapter 4 in Ephesians, verse 1. Chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's begging them. Got it? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. It don't get much more all-inclusive than that. That's it. One big unified universe called the body of Christ to which you and I are part of. Yeah, up to this point, Paul's been looping and looping his thoughts about Jesus being the one all and the end all of everything. And then we get to Paul's big therefore right there. Therefore, and when you see a therefore, you know, it's going to be concluding things, wrapping things up, saying your main point. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy. It's not about just being moral, although that's in there. It's about bearing up with one another, to live, to maintain the unity and the bond of peace, to have each other's back, to be a people, a tribe, a gathered group, because you, as an individual, are most important when you're part of the church, when you're part of the body of Christ. That's what makes you special, which is so weird because in our culture, we flip that around. And church is kind of optional. The body of Christ is optional. And we, because of where we're at culturally, think we're the most important thing in the world. And that's a hard thing to come against. And it doesn't sell very well on Main Street. Maintain the unity and the bond of peace. 
There is one Lord, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. I've been pounding um, this point, you know, really through the last two elections and all through the pandemic, and now in an economic downturn, upturn, side turn. I don't know what we're going through right now. Nobody really knows, just the latest daily reaction. And I've been imploring all of you at Lakeland to rise above the powers of the empire and culture and not cave in to right or left thinking, but to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ, you know, to love and, and to be for one another, to, to be something beyond what we are just going through right now for, for a few months, a few years, for this season as a nation and even as a world. We are one. We have one baptism, one church, one spirit, one faith, one God, one Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. This is how we make sense of everything. It's about Identity, it is about belonging. Who are you in Christ? Is simply a way of saying, like, it is who you belong to. This is the only real thing that Paul's fired up about. This is what makes it sense of everything when you're sitting there at a port city and there's armies going through and there's a temple to Artemis and all the rest of it. You know, over 25 years at Lakeland, I've seen a lot of church. And I've seen the ups and downs. I've seen people do glorious, wonderful sacrifices for others. No, no payback at all. Just work outrageous hours fixing up houses that aren't their own. I've seen people travel on one trip for 54 hours straight. 54 hours straight, no sleep, just so they could go to the other side of the planet and hang out with a persecuted church in China just to be with them. I've seen people write enormous checks for the sake of healing women in Africa and standing up against and giving an option, an alternative to people being uh, sucked into the sex trade and being slaves. I've been in hospitals with births of beautiful babies time and time again. And I've been in the ER with violent death, death of a loved one and a child. I've seen people so excited to find Lakeland, they bring all their friends and relatives, unabashedly inviting like crazy, and telling me, it better be good, because I'm bringing my people. Okay. And I've seen people walk out those doors with nothing more than an eye roll and never come back in again. You know, I used to tell myself, um, I used to tell myself, yeah, I have a thick skin. I'm a thick skinned person. Nothing affects me. I'm cool. People come and go. No big deal. People say bad things. I don't care. No big deal. Truth is, I don't think I have a thick skin. Reality is, I think I'm pretty thin skinned, really. I don't like to admit it. I feel bad when people leave Lakeland. I take it personally, I've realized. 
And the more I read Ephesians, the more I can identify with Paul. And I think Paul was really concerned when people left and, and when people didn't show and so forth like that. And he's trying to tell the Ephesians that we're all one in Christ. We are the body of Jesus. And something inside of me is just violated when people leave. Now I know, you know, they don't care and that's the way it is. So, so here's the walk away from this morning. It isn't worry about Dan's feelings as much as make Paul proud and find some dogged determination to be the church, to do something larger than yourself, to, to say to yourself, life is not about me. It's about somebody else. It's about love and it's about peace. Do something doggedly determined for somebody else. You were called in the one hope of your calling. You have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. I put those in our prayers for course on the closing prayer precisely because we are one and we're getting ready to walk into right now into church. And we're going to worship together. We're going to be one together. We're going to study scripture together. We're going to sing together. We're going to be one, even if just for a half hour or an hour or so. We are one, and you've got to find some dogged determination to make that so and invite other people into it. You know, over the past two years, churches in America have lost over 40% of attendance. Did you know that? Are you hearing these kind of statistics? Okay. 40% of people who go to church just, and there's probably a half a dozen reasons, no one big reason, right? Just, they just, yeah, whatever. We can stand out in the lobby and talk about, you know, oh, another thing, you know, of why people left. But here's something that, that we're not hearing. Pastors are resigning in such numbers that it's now being called the great pastor resignation. And what they're discovering is that pastors are experiencing trauma, like PTSD-type trauma, because of the polarization in America and what they're accusing pastors of. How come you didn't vote for Trump? How come you didn't vote for Joe? You know, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, how could you not wear a mask? Why isn't everybody wearing a mask? You know what I mean? Like on and on and on. And pastors are just leaving. Somewhat, just like everybody else. And they're perplexed, and they're flummoxed, and they're at their wit's end. Now, I get fired up when you get fired up. And you get fired up when I get fired up. So we fire each other up. You know what I'm saying? And the more we stick around... And the more we do some ministry together and forget about all the empires around us and just be the body of Christ, we stay fired up. I'm in if you're in. I'm good. You good? We all good? Let's, it's good, you know? Like, that's all we have. And Paul's saying this is the largest thing in the freaking universe. This is it. It don't get no bigger. And you and I are a part of it. 
We'll stay fired up for the sake of people who have no answer in the face of cancer and COVID and whatever else comes at us. We'll stay fired up for the sake of families who are just trying to entertain themselves until they die, which is a little sad. We'll stay fired up because we offer the one thing nothing else can offer, the beauty and mystery of something beyond ourselves called God. Revealed in Jesus, we stay fired up about forgiveness and acceptance, even though the world tells us to cancel and hate. We stay fired up even though economics and governments and the media tell us that there's no answer no matter what, we stay fired up. Maybe someday somebody's going to write a letter, a little fired up letter about Lakeland. But that's not going to be possible if we don't own what Paul's saying here in Ephesians as our own. We are one. We are one, everybody. We are one, and we are one, or we are nothing at all. Doesn't mean we have to agree with each other. It just means we have to be bound together. I used to actually come up here in the early days of Lakeland, and I would carry up here a pair of handcuffs. And you're like, dude, you're like an abuser or something like that. And I would carry up with a pair of handcuffs, and I'd say, like, dude, you're going to have to gnaw your arm off to get out of the church. You know what I'm saying? That's how much we stay together. I don't do that anymore. It's a little too weird. But nonetheless, <laughs> I'm just saying it's like that. We are bound together no matter what. Who's going to have your back? Who will show up when the baby's born at the graveside and everything in between? Who are your people? Do everything you can to protect that. That's what Paul's saying, be fired up about. Because it's really, really hard these days. Really, really hard. Amen.